Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let us feel the warmth of a new dawn, and above all, let us seize the promise of a brand new day. Merci, mes amis. Thank you, my friends. Merci tout le monde. Now the former Attorney General is with us. Jody, good to talk to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Roy? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Uh, when you hear the Prime Minister talk about a, a new dawn, what, what, what are you hearing? Well, I, I t- that was the, his speech after um, they declared a minority government. I, I mean, I, I think that um, I stand and speak for many Canadians who are still... Um, wondering why we had an election and um, realizing that uh, the parliament that is um, at some point going to reconvene looks very similar to the parliament that uh, existed before. Um, the the only difference is um, that we've gone through an election that was um, and caused uh, and created um, a lot of division. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Canadians gave um, Prime Minister Trudeau another minority government, which for me speaks to the reality that Canadians want our politicians to work together and to tackle the big issues. And the only way we're going to do that is if there's more cooperation and, you know, for my part, I believe less partisanship. Yeah. I want to talk to you, obviously, about the book. Let me ask you, though, one other question here out of the gate, then we'll get to the content of the book and and what goes along with it, including now the deferred prosecution agreement that's been offered to SNC-Lavalin, which must be tremendously ironic to you. But uh, let me ask you, first of all, about your sense of the two Michaels. What do you think was going on in Parliament reading the, the, leading to this development? What do you feel about this? Well, I, I again, I mean, like everybody, when uh, we listened to the Prime Minister speak yesterday and then hearing the, that the two Michaels were on their way back to Canada, I felt relief and happiness. And I mean, seeing some of the, the heartwarming photographs of uh, of them reuniting with their families um, today. I mean, I couldn't be happier and so grateful that they're back. In terms of of what uh, transpired, I mean, I'm sure, and there's going to continue to be assessment in terms of how things played out, what our relationship is uh, with China. Um, I mean, these are things that are going to continue to to be talked about, and I think um, just with everybody else. I'm just uh, very pleased that they're back and and whatever happened in terms of the, the diplomatic world and with the United States to, to bring this to um, to this reality, um, we should uh, just be grateful right now. There's a lot of discussions that will go on, certainly about uh, um, people's roles and, and what happens in our relationship with, uh, with China yeah. in the future. Uh, in Indian in the Cabinet, central to your whole story is, of course, the SNC and Lavalin case. And uh, mm-hmm. focusing only on that, and remembering Mr. Trudeau immediately declared the first report by the Globe and Mail that you, as Attorney General, had been interfered with during your sworn duty as being false, then moving forward through your full experience with the SNC Lavalin case, which resulted in a public declaration by the Parliamentary Ethics Commissioner, Mario Dion, that the Premier, Prime Minister, rather, indeed had bullied you 
and we learned over time what the Globe had reported was indeed not false, that it was true. What does that one event, that one parliamentary episode, tell Canadians? Because what I hear time and again is it tells us the game is rigged or that it can be rigged. Well, I, uh, I mean, for me, one of the main reasons why I, I wrote Indian in the Cabinet is to share what I learned within government, to share um, how government operated while I was there. I mean, um, SNC forms, you know, a significant part of this book and the backdrop to my experience in, in government. I mean, for me, um, as the Attorney General, as I stated in the book, I knew clearly, and as I stated publicly, what my role was, and, and that was to uphold the rule of law and ensure the independence of the prosecution um, in the face of pressure from many different places. And um, in that case, um, I certainly did not succumb to that pressure, but it tells us, um, and I think for Canadians and in, through writing this book, thought a lot about how the inner workings of government operate and how we need to be very vigilant about um, internal dynamics, how decisions are made, whether decisions are made based on the rule of law or whether decisions are made um, for um, pub or you know political expediency, um, and how behind closed doors. I mean, there is potential for wrongdoing. So um, I think in terms of having discussions around cabinet confidentiality and principles of confidentiality, what can remains out of sight and what needs to be brought into the light. These are some of the discussions that I that I bring into Indian in the cabinet. And I think that um, are appropriate discussions for for us as Canadians to have in terms of the information that potentially is withheld um, from us by governments when they make decisions about particular issues. Yeah, it's extremely important that we have a sense of what goes on behind the scenes as well. And without you and your experience with the Prime Minister and the PMO over SNC-Lavalin, most of us wouldn't even well, we wouldn't know about this story and we may not have a sense of what the dangers are. It must be deliciously ironic to you in a way that SNC-Lavalin's now been offered at EPA. Well, I, I mean, again, and I certainly don't know the, and I saw that so a couple of days ago along with everybody else. Um, I mean, this is a decision that was made by the prosecutor in Quebec. Um, they have um, the full ability to offer a deferred prosecution agreement to, to those entities within SNC. I don't know the details there. Um, um, it's the prosecution's choice to, to do so based on the circumstances that are before them. Um, so we'll see we'll see what happens in that regard. Of course, um, the SNC um, affair that uh, I was involved with was um, a federal prosecution, and um, uh, the person that I dealt with was the director of public prosecutions who determined it wasn't appropriate in that case to enter into uh, a remediation agreement with with SNC. Yeah. And well, I upheld that decision. It starts to look like a giant game of snakes and ladders, actually. Uh, could you remind us about that moment that you realized Mr. Trudeau wanted you to lie? And did you understand, I'm sure you did, but I want, I want to hear from you. Did you understand that your future as a senior cabinet member of government hinged on doing as you were expected to do? You were doing your duty when you challenged the, um, the pressure from the PMO, and yet here you were 
your very position as the Minister of Justice and the Attorney General was hinging upon, as if I understand this correctly, on you were um, signing on to the Prime Minister and uh, lying for him. Well, I, I mean, a lot of this had um, transpired before those series of meetings that I had that led to my resignation um, in February of, of 2019. It was prior to that. And um, when I was still the, the Attorney General in December of, of 2018, that's when I had that, that t- telephone call with the clerk of the, the Privy Council. And my feeling at the time was I was just hyper aware of all of the um, exertions of pressure around me, um, and I needed to, uh, I mean, I was very clear in my decision and um, was ensuring that I did everything I can to um, ensure that the prosecution remained independent. Um, but at the time when I um, I was then Minister of Veterans Affairs, when I had that series those series of meetings with Justin Trudeau, I and I recount in the book very clearly what I felt in that room based on the conversations that I was having with the Prime Minister in that moment. And um, uh, I recount how I felt, and, and certainly Canadians can judge for themselves based on what I've written, the extensive public record around SNC, in my testimony, the Ethics Commissioner's report, and you know, judge for themselves and based on the record of of this government. Jody, the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation is coming up next week. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you were on the air with me in June, we talked about reconciliation and the need to properly communicate uh, with Indigenous peoples. What's your sense about the sincerity uh, within the Liberal Party, within the Government of Canada, about following through on this and really creating the kind of dynamic that needs to exist? Well, I, I try to remain optimistic in terms of uh, hoping that uh, the government is going to do the right thing and, and follow through on its promises. Um, you know, Indigenous issues, I believe, um, should be nonpartisan issues, and I'm hopeful that all members of Parliament are going to advocate on behalf of, of advancing a framework for rights recognition. Um, but this government, they've been in office for six years. There were extraordinary transformative pro- um, promises in terms of the relationship with Indigenous peoples based on the recognition of rights and creating space for Indigenous peoples to be self-governing within a stronger Canada. We haven't seen that. Um, The Prime Minister promised on February the 14th of 2018 to change laws and policies and practices of government to enable that to happen, and it hasn't. Um, So, and there's a lot of of mistrust. Um, There's a lot of expectations, and rightfully so, among Indigenous peoples for the government to actually um, follow through with its promises. Um, And, you know, in advance of September 30th, and in the wake of the revelations of the mass graves, we have to do something about this. Canadians, um, more than ever, are wanting the government to do the right thing, and I'm hopeful are going to to lead, uh, you know, the government and lead to the elected leadership to actually follow through and not just um, put forward, um, you know, various forms of symbolism in terms of addressing or not addressing issues, but actually put some substance behind um, the symbolism that we see far too much of and not enough action. We need action on these issues. And as you write uh, in the book, 
Um, no longer should you be hearing deny, delay, distract as you're growing up as a First Nations person. Yeah, I, I mean, the longer that we simply do not um, deal with um, Indigenous issues, that we do not um, do as we have with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms some um, 35 plus years ago and, in, and recognize um, in that our Constitution in Section 35 recognizes and affirms Aboriginal and treaty rights. Um, we need to change the laws in this country and the policies in order for Indigenous peoples to be self-determining, which is what um, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples means. Uh, we need to move out from the colonial shadow of the Indian Act, for example, and we need to see leadership that is going to be um, enable this change to happen. We haven't seen that yet. Um, if uh, this Prime Minister, if Justin Trudeau does do what he promised to do over six years ago, um, I know I will be and, and so many Indigenous peoples will be standing up there um, wanting to implement the solutions we've known about um, that will work for decades. What's the one story, the one incident, the one moment in your book that you really want people to pay attention to, that, that really centralizes what the book is about? Well, I, I, I mean, there's lots of different stories I mean, I, and themes that flow throughout the book. Um, really what I sought to do is to reflect what my experience was within government and what I learned about how government operates. And I mean, overarching, whether we're talking about indigenous issues, other pieces of legislation, how our democracy functions, electoral reform. Um, fundamentally, I believe, and this is reflected throughout the book, that good governance is something that we need to focus on as Canadians. Yeah. And good governance requires honesty, integrity, and independence and a movement away from partisanship. And when we do that and work across party lines and uphold these values um, and make decisions based on the best information, the best reasons, and in the best interest of Canadians, I mean, that's what we want. That's what I have heard Canadians want. And, you know, making, making decisions um, simply because we can gain advantage over another political party or ensure we um, gain power or maintain power is not in the best interest of Canadians. And the fact that um, we are so, and COVID has taught us this, interdependent and interconnected as human beings is why we need to work together in terms of these big decisions and issues that are confronting us domestically and internationally. I think the fact that 58%, the turnout, I think it was around 58% on uh, this past Monday for the federal election tells exactly that story that so many, so many Canadians just don't believe that's going on. Yeah, and I, and I think I, I mean, I certainly am among those Canadians that are concerned about the nature of our democracy and the health of our institutions. Um, we need leadership to revitalize our institutions, to ensure that there is less partisanship, more independence, and certainly eradicate blind loyalty to a particular party, yeah. a leader, or the prime minister. Right. I mean, suppressing, as they did 
with me, um, a, you know, diverse world views, experience and expertise simply because they don't fall in line with the objective of garnering more votes right. is problematic to sound decision making. And we have to have to fight against that. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.